podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to H Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Batten Fight Show. This is episode number 74 and uh, tonight we're going to be, as ever, talking the latest MMA and boxing news. Plus, of course, last night's UFC fight night, including some uh, some top-level performances. Plus, of course, we will indeed be talking to another top guest from the fight world, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's going to be a good one, but uh, as ever... You can get this show and all the other shows which Ace Podcast Nation produces featuring top guests, expert analysts and more in video format at youtube.com slash Nation. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio format, then you can get them at uh, every podcast platform in the world pretty much. Just search Ace Podcast Nation and there's over 400 shows on a variety of subjects featuring uh, featuring some top, top names and some really, really interesting subject matter. So I urge you. Have a look, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click that bell for notifications, helps us out a lot. And uh, spread the word, as it were. But uh, with no further ado, let's let's bring in the man of the hour. First and foremost, joining me as ever, he is a former Cage Warriors champion. Some would say a legend of the UK MMA fight scene. It is Mr. Danny Batten. Welcome, my friend. I've changed that to some would say. A legend. Yeah, I'm not, I, not so happy about that. Giving you a bit of a downgrade <laughs> yeah, from yeah, the usual no. legendary status. <laughs> a couple yeah. of weeks' time, it'll just be like veteran fighter of the UK MMA scene, and then a few some weeks guy. after that, yeah, it'll just be some guy who used to fight. And yeah, be interesting, mate. But uh, how are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. We had another interesting weekend. You know, UFC. Are still pumping out some awesome matchups. Um, there's some really interesting performances and some great knockouts as well, which is always good to see. Yeah, some uh, some interesting ones, but uh, you don't get too many spinning elbow uh, knockouts in their main mm-hmm. events, no less. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. Um, we'll touch on the boxing results a bit later on. Not going to be able to talk about it in d- too much detail because I haven't just haven't had a chance to watch it. I don't know if you've seen any of it, mate, but. It just is what it is. There's only so much time. There's only only so many hours in the day, mate. Yeah, I, I didn't really get to follow much with the boxing. Um, but it is something that I will will watch, but I just have to do it when time allows. Indeed, mate. We've got to got to focus on the focus on the the stuff which we're going to talk about the most. But uh, on that note, joining us today, another fantastic guest from the fight world uh, he's higher level mma founder owner and head coach former cage warriors fighter in his own right it is mr james doolan welcome james how are you mate i'm good mate thank you for having us indeed i'm uh, very pleased to have another celt on the show i, I like it when we uh, we out we outnumber danny i, I feel <laughs> feel at home more comfortable like, like yeah. i like it when we have the welsh fighters on because just that just makes me feel all cozy and warm inside. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just having uh, having another count on is just as good. But uh, how are you, James? Anyway, are you all good? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, just getting on with stuff, the same as everybody else. I think, but I'm good. Yeah, it's been, it's been a weird, weird 
year, 18 months, isn't it? It's uh, unprecedented. And I suppose that could kind of start us off, I suppose. Like, as a coach who's got guys in, you know, the UFC and Cage Warriors, a lot of professional fighters, like, what has it been like this last year, you know, training fighters throughout COVID and still trying to prepare for fights and stuff, big fights as well? It's been weird. Um, it's not really been a process I've enjoyed, to be honest. It's it's gave me the chance to work a lot of one on one with the guys are in really small groups with a couple of training partners and stuff like that. But I think um, our our gym and our our kind of system at the gym is built on having a really big team and having everybody in under the same roof at the same time, just pushing each other and stuff like that. And I, I think that's kind of been lost a lot. Um, so. It's been it's been weird, man, but we've kind of made the best of it and just got on with it as best as we could, the same as everyone else. Yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? It's like it's something which just can't be helped. It's completely taken out of your hands. And like I've spoken to Danny a lot about, you know, when the gyms when you're told the gyms were closed, particularly early on in that lockdown, before professionals were kind of given the green light to 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 train and to prepare for fights and stuff like that when it was all completely locked down in that initial one it's got to be frustrating for you guys because it's it's completely out of your hands it's nothing you know it's not even a case of you guys kind of deciding well we're going to close down because it's a bit you know it's a bit ropey or it's a bit dodgy you're just told and that's it and it's i, I just feel like that's got to be quite frustrating i suppose is the best word what um What's the sort of the best thing from a training fighters now coming into where they're opening everything up and that side of it, like in your for you or for your team and for you guys, is it just the bigger teams and being able to sort of get everyone in there together, or is there some other sides to it? Um, it's probably just having everybody back in the gym. To be honest, it's there's a, a weird thing about gyms that certain gyms more than others, but. There's a, there's a process where guys come in and they need to be joking around with guys and they need to be getting the piss ripped at them and they need to be getting do you know what, they, they need to be getting slagged off and, and everything else um, and it, it just makes everything more fun that way like training is more fun they, they push themselves harder and stuff like that when we were doing the camps during lockdown and we're in like a, a pretty big space and there's like me a fighter and two training partners so it's it's just it felt almost quite sterile, do you know what I mean? It was just like yeah. it it was just so business like certain things that it just wasn't the same where when you're used to coming in and and your whole teams are around you and you're just ripping the piss out of each other mm. but the work's uh -huh. still getting done. It's it's less obvious that you're doing the work, I think. Mm. Um even though the work is, is is still getting done, but it's just seeing everybody, man, and, and you're just so used to seeing the certain people five, six times a week. Um, you know what's going on in their life and stuff like that. And, mm. and when you take that away from you, it just it kind of throws everyone off a wee bit. It just breaks a routine that you're used to. Yeah, like Danny, you've talked about um, you know the the banter which goes around in your you know with your team and in BST and stuff like that. And you know how important it is. It's not just in terms of everyone feeling comfortable, everyone keeping up to date on everything, you know, which is going on and stuff. But it is that, it's that motivation and keeping everyone on their toes, keeping everyone sharp. That banter goes a long way. And I think sometimes maybe from the outside, that is underappreciated how much 
influence that sort of thing does have on the general atmosphere and, and feeling around the camps? Yeah, I mean, it's all just part of what you get accustomed to for the normality, if you will. Um, you know, and our gym, possibly more than any other, is really banter orientated. There's a, a lot of piss taking going on and what have you. But that said, we are very, very serious when we, you know, get on the mats and get in the cage and we're doing our techniques and drilling and, and doing our sparring. We get very, very serious, don't get me wrong. But yeah, part of what helps the group congeal and, and, and have that togetherness it is all through the banter and yeah it was a really disrupted time i suppose is the only way to say it and not not only that there's a other knock-on effects such as financial as well um it was very very hard on some of the younger coaches that we have uh, at the gym you know they relied solely on their coaching wage and obviously their positions were suddenly not there overnight um, it was a very very difficult process and confusing time for fighters as well pro, as pro fighters everyone was not too sure when they're going to get a get a fight and get their fight purse because you know they, they some of them rely on that to help get by financially uh, it just nothing was happening and regards the amateurs or amateurs just it were just was null and voided there was just nothing for them um especially with promotions you know it's only the biggest promotions who are able to ignite themselves back into activity with ufc cage warriors and, and bellator a little bit further down the line but a lot of these shows all stopped as well there's a big knock-on effect throughout but it's a survival of the fittest and you know james is still there with his team and you know everything's opening up now there was a light at the end of the tunnel and we're coming through it now yeah, 100%, mate. And I think, like I was saying about the frustration, I think that's going to, you know, just for someone like me from the outside, I found it frustrating just as a fan and, and talking to you and see if you're feeling how frustrated you were. So I can only imagine what it's like sort of in that bubble. Um, James, is there, have you got any fighters within your sort of ranks who maybe it didn't bother them too much to you know to train in that small groups and because you you hear about some fighters uh, obviously the one which springs to mind is kind of like uh, Tony Ferguson Max Holloway who kind of you know recently have said they do very little sparring and they do a lot of training on their on their own do you have any or any or many fighters who are as comfortable training alone or in small groups as opposed to in those big groups Oh, you've gone quiet again there, mate. You know what, uh... Better? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Cool. I think there's one or two who maybe benefit from like, individual attention and stuff like that. Um, but generally, I think they're, they're better off in the in the group format. Um, and we can, we can time manage how much time mm -hmm. guys are getting and stuff like that. There's one or two guys, I think, like Mark Ewan, who ended up being like a main sparring partner for a couple of fights uh, with Danny Henry for Fight Island and then Stevie McIntosh a couple of times. So he was like one of our better amateur guys, but he's just about to turn pro. So he's benefited from from getting in in wee groups and, and stuff like that. But generally, I think it's it's been hard work for a lot of them. 100%, mate. Um, so let's move away from COVID. And before we kind of talk about some of the fighters on your books, James, I would like to talk a bit about you. Uh, and your sort of, you know, the fighting which you did yourself and stuff. Obviously, you're a, a very accomplished fighter in many different arts. Um, but first and foremost, back to the start. How old were you and how did you get into combat sports and MMA? Uh, I was eight, eight years old, I think. Um, I'd been getting bullied at school and 
my parents took me to a karate class. It was like the closest one to my house type of thing. Show and karate. There wasn't much about. This was like nineteen fuck eighty something, eighty six maybe, <laughs> eighty seven. Uh, wow. um, um, so started in karate, but by the time I was, I think by the time I was eleven, I knew that that show and karate wasn't wasn't the answer I was looking for. Um, like I didn't think I was going to be winning any confrontations using it. I'd, I'd seen it for what it was. Um, and just started looking about at different stuff, but the only other option I had back then was kind of boxing, uh, which led me into kickboxing, and I just went like a very natural path that, that most of the guys my age and like Danny's age went, it was like traditional martial arts, kind of mm. coming through, and maybe the more realistic traditional stuff like, like Muay Thai, um, and then adding Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu eventually when, when MMA came about. But it was it was short kind of I was there. I think it was like a junior black belt and stuff before I moved on. Um, started that boxing club, then kickboxing, so, and then Muay Thai. I I find that really interesting. And one of the questions, which is a, it's a very personal question for from my point of view, but like um, I got three boys, basically three teenagers. But the particularly the older one who's sixteen and the youngest one who's twelve now, I want them to do some MMA training. Um, and actually, uh, Richard Shaw works at their school, and I kind of want to try and get them doing, you know, just basics and training up with him. And um, my wife is a bit against this. She thinks it'll encourage them to fight, and you know, all that's you know the usual arguments basically. And I ask our guests, particularly of their coaches, and I ask Danny, like, what would, you, if you were me, what would you say to kind of explain the benefits of those teenagers doing that? Um, to be honest, I would have every, I think every kid should train in martial arts. Um, I think it should be part of the school kind of curriculum. I think the, the fact you've got access to Richard Shore in the school is an amazing thing. I wish they had mm. something like that in Scotland, to be honest, man. Um, and the, Danny will tell you this as well, the, the vast majority of people that get into martial arts will never compete, they'll never go on to fight. Um, I think at our gym we've got maybe 110 students or something and what, 25 years. So I, w- I would definitely get them into it. I mean, I've, got, I've got three boys as well, um, mm. four, 14, due to turn 15, 12 and 2 and all of them train. I don't think any of them are going to compete, maybe the youngest one, but it's important for me that they, 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 they train. So they, they start messing about at a young age and just play about. But I, I think every kid should, should be involved in martial arts. I know a lot of other countries have it in schools and, and stuff like that. Yeah, they the, do, yeah. The, the benefits it's massive. Yeah, and I think, like, this is, like the, the, the point which everyone jumps to is obviously self-defence. But I think, for me, there's, like, there's a lot of other aspects to it, like f- just general fitness discipline um the mental health um aspects of it and the positive side of that like danny i know we've touched on this a little bit before me and you but like is there anything which you would add to sort of what james has said and what i've just said there just about the the other side of it you know not necessarily self-defense but the other aspects of the benefits of it yeah uh, i mean when i was listening to james uh I agree with a lot of what James says. I think most kids should be involved in some way and bringing it into schools. So I think it'd be a huge benefit um, because it, it forces the kids into 
a social mix for one. Um, you're naturally going to have, you know, pecking orders, and I actually think it makes you fight less by being well equipped, um, just okay. in case confrontation uh, confrontations arises, and 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 also with the the discipline side of things as well. I think in classrooms now there's such a lack of control for teachers over their students, um, but I think when you're doing it martial arts orientated way, um, I don't know. It's, it's almost like the the, the coach w would have some kind of um, I don't know, more authority over the, the, the students in that class format. And I just think that would be really good for kids of any age, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, something that I've always talked about uh, amongst close friends and family is that, um, you know, back many, many years ago, I used to do a two-year service in the military. Um, I think it was from the age of 16 to 18. I can't rem remember exactly what the age terms are. But I think something like that would be fantastic to be bought, bought back in. Uh, I don't know why it got taken out or how hard it would be to reintroduce something like that. But I think that I put a lot of students, uh, you know, young kids, um, you know, coming up to leaving school, it would put them on a straight and narrow if they was going to deter and or sidetrack and get into trouble. I just think something like that would be really, really good. But of course, we don't have that two year service with regards to military training or anything like that. So, you know, martial arts, I think, could be a good way of perhaps helping the kids in school formats and, and being social and, I don't know, getting on the right path, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with that, mate. And I think you've both made some uh, some great points, which I'm going to take straight to my wife this evening. Thank you for that. <laughs> but also, like, um, I agree with you, Danny, about the the military service as well. I think it should be compulsory. You know, even just just two just two years. I think there's so much benefits to it that I just I don't know. I, especially when you look around the world and the things you read in the newspapers, mate. Like I feel like uh, every other day I'm reading about a kid in the UK somewhere who's of no age at all, you know, 11, 12 or whatever, and they've been stabbed or beaten up or shot or, you know, just something horrific. And I just feel like if it's not addressed as a whole nation and, and kind of we get our, get back to some sort of values in, in terms of how the population generally and as a whole, bring up their kids and the values that they install in those kids. I just can't see it getting better. Um, and in some ways, I'm glad that my kids are the age they're at now, and they're not younger because I I, I do worry. You know, as as parents do, you do worry, but you can only do where you can only do your best, as it were, mate. Um, <clears throat> James, obviously, uh, so you fought in um, various promotions. I think I'm right in saying that you fought uh, in, as well as MMA, you fought in uh, other martial arts as well as a you know as a competitor. Um, yeah. Your MMA record I've got down is seventeen nine and two, um, which is a pretty good record. Um, your last fight in two thousand and thirteen was with Cage Warriors. Um, yep. I asked Danny this a lot, but uh, I'm going to ask you. Do you have a price in mind that you would make a comeback fight to uh, to knock out Jake Paul for me? For me, <laughs> I'll do it for nothing. I'm easy. <laughs> like it, like it. Yeah, I think. Um, did you did you finish for a particular reason, like injury or, or anything like that, or? Uh, nobody's asked me this before, actually. But um, there was a couple reasons. One was. 
I had it in my head once I, I once I struggled to beat domestic level guys, I was done. Um, okay. One of my earlier goals was to be like the best guy in my weight in the UK, and I went on a little run at Cage Gladiators, which was a big show at the time. Um, I won the bantamweight title there and defended it three times against good fighters. Um, and then at this time, my my gym was growing and growing, so I was coaching full time. Daniel tell you how hard this is to, to fight yourself and coach. Um, so near the near the end, I had while I was coaching, I had Stevie Ray coming up at Cage Warriors. I had Martin Delaney, who's like a European ranked lightweight. I had Graham Turner at Cage Warriors, who was who went to fight for the, the title there, and um, I had Joanne Calderwood, who was ranked number two in the world as a strawweight, just fighting in Invicta, mm. um, and went on went on to sign the UFC. So. The way I coach, especially with the guys, is, is, is quite hands-on. So I'm, I'm spending maybe an hour a day with, with these guys and then the rest of my students and, and then try to fit my own training in. So it, it just came down to a question of, do I want to be like a world-class competitor or a world-class coach? Um, and the, the only reason I started c- competing was to get better at coaching. So... It was no contest for us. It was, it, I had to focus on the coaching, I suppose. I think if I'd been a bit more selfish and stuff, I could have, I could have fought on for a wee bit longer. Um, if some of the losses I had maybe would have, would have been changed. But that that show actually, Joanne fought on the same shows as I went out and fought. I got put on third, I think. Lost to James Pennington. Got, had a bit of a sore face and then came out later on and had to corner her while she fought uh, ranked number eight in the world, Sally Crumdiak, I think it was. Um, but but that was it pretty much. It was, I didn't want to be just an average guy at, in the UK. Um, mm. I I dropped a couple iffy decisions to UK guys, but but that was the first time I'd been stopped off a UK guy. Um, okay. And then just just the work the workload with the coaching was was starting to catch up with. Yeah, that sounds brutal. I gotta say that the the amount of hours. This, this is like we said earlier on when talking about trying to watch stuff. There's um there's only so many hours in the day, and uh, if you're coaching and you know obviously, like from what I know of and what Danny has said about you, like you're talking you're one of the best coaches in Europe if not the world, and to be that you've got to have the dedication and the put be able to put the hours in to to get there and to do that and to continue that and get better, um so I can imagine that must have been quite difficult to balance the two, in terms of your fighting career. What was um, maybe like your top two or three career moments like for you? Whether it's favourite fights or a moment or a knockout or whatever it may be, what sticks out I, for you? I know, I know one of them that was his highlight, and that would have been that? beating Lee Remedius. Yeah, Lucky Lee. <laughs> uh, that would have been, to be honest, because when, when I was coming up, he was a big name. Um, yeah. I think he'd, he'd been in a documentary and stuff like that. And, um, it, I think he was regarded as one of the best featherweights in, in Europe for a while. So when, when he dropped into bantamweight, I, I was kind of happy to fight him, to be honest. And then he came with Cage Gladiators and it was a title defence. I was quite nervous about that fight just because of his reputation. Um, and because I knew he'd, he'd been quite a big featherweight, dropping to bantam. Um, and and I, it was a good fight for me. I was at the Olympia in Liverpool um, and I knocked him out in the, the second round. So... That that was definitely the one that stood out, just because he, because it was Lee and he was like a famous troll at the time. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, still, he was, he still is a troll, man. He's, yeah, but he was one of the best. He was so good at getting under people's skin. And um, you know, what a lot of people don't know about Lee is he's, he's a pretty intelligent guy. So you, know, you you start bantering with him, and he can just twist you up. He's a smart, smart, smart guy. Yeah. Um, he's got some awesome comebacks. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I never smart. got involved with that side of it with him. But um, yeah, it was natural rivalry between me and Relieve Me. It's when I you know, noticed that you had beaten him, I thought, oh, I've got to mention this on the podcast. There's <laughs> a little satisfaction. So, you know, did you have game plan for Relieve Me? Did it go pretty much how, how you wanted it to go? Or was it a case of just stepping in and feeling out wherever it may go? I think I'd actually trained with him at Quorum Gym. Uh, right. Once, but it was just, we just grappled. Um, and he was, he was a, a better wrestler than me at the time. Um, so my, my plan was just to keep everything nice and long. And, and try and pick him off with strikes on the way in. Uh, I can't remember. It was a head kick eventually I got him with, but it had been set up with just a, with, with jabs and stuff. It did have me in a little bit of trouble. I had to escape a triangle at one point. I think he took mm. me down and I, I, swept, I swept him. And I've come up into a triangle and, and managed to kind of escape it. And I'm pretty sure at that point I knew that I was going to beat him. I could, I could feel it in him. Like I was like, that's his shot. That, that, was, his, that was his window of opportunity. And, and then mm. after that, when I started hitting him, I could, I could, I knew the writing was on the wall after that. To be honest, but um, I, I, I kicked him. I think I set it up with like a wee fake and kicked him in the neck, and, and then finished with strikes. But uh, I knew mm. I wanted to avoid him hold, holding me against the fence and stuff like that because he's a bit more physical than me. Hmm. Mm. He, I did um, one of my earliest, uh, one of the first episodes of the, my unscripted, uncensored podcast, which I do, um, was with Lee. And actually, I think that's how uh, me and Danny came across each other initially was that I did a did that show with Lee. When I spoke to Lee for about two and a half hours um, and it felt like an hour. It was it just went by so fast. We covered so many different subjects, some controversial subjects. But you're right, Danny. One of the things which stuck out for me is um, he's not like what you would say is like a stereotypical fighter like he's very very intelligent very well spoken mm. very um you know very clever guy and um that really stuck out for me so it's, I, it's interesting hearing you guys like talk about your memories of him because obviously i know him in a different um a different way like a different line a different you know away from fighting completely um is there any other moments um james which kind of stick out for you through your fighting career uh, um, the little run I put together at OMAC probably when, when it was Cage Gladiators um, back then it was on ITV4 so it, it like a, a good stable of fighters okay. where all the Calbon guys were coming through so uh, Terry Etton was there Paul Sass was there and I, um, so, so that was good it was, it was risky for me going to Liverpool and fighting because I'd been fighting a lot in, in Glasgow and stuff but I went there and and I had to fight with a, a guy called Jay McGuinness to win the title. And I think I was, I think they brought me in thinking he was going to beat me, to be honest. Mm. Um, Paul Sass cornered him and I think the guy sold about £7,000 worth of tickets. He's, he's a popular kid oh, in, wow. uh, in Liverpool. Um, and I remember going into the promoter's office to get paid before I left to, to drive back up to Scotland. And, and somebody had been in to get his ticket commission and his ticket commission was far far more than what I was getting paid for the fight um, <laughs> and then I, I went back there and I, def I defended against Lee I defended against Von uh, Von Lee, Von Harvey at the time and I defended against Dino Gambatessa as well so 
that that little run, they, they, they're all legit, but very good fighters. Um, mm. So that that week, I ended up kind of really enjoying going to Liverpool and just fighting there, to be honest. But um, that and and getting the opportunity to fight in Japan, I think, was pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah I've, think, had, I've, I've, I've had some experiences say, in, in Japan and I, I mean, I've enjoyed them for their unique experience each time, but my goodness, they just seem to make everything go against you there. It, 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 that we, we was getting knocks on our door at all strange times. We were getting, They wasn't clear about anything that was going to be happening. Nothing was properly structured. I don't know, we felt like we was getting pulled from pillar to post. It, um, they wanted to do interviews in between my weight cut. I, I didn't have such a relishing experience out there. As, as much as I still look at it with fond memories, don't get me wrong, but I just felt like they were stacking so many things against me. And each time I was out there, I was out there on short notice. I just wondered how you saw your experience out there. I was the same, mate. I was, um, I was short notice, so that, that straight away that stacks the, the cards against you. I went. I was mm. going to go in corner Paul McVeigh. He was going to fight. Um, and Ian Dean messaged me just saying that they had a gap at Bantamweight if I wanted to take it. Um, I never made Bantamweight up to that point. I couldn't find it featherweight. But it was, I wasn't big at featherweight, so I kind of jumped at the chance, to be honest. But mm. I think I had about 10, 10 days. And then I've arrived in Japan. It was, wasn't even 24 hours before the weigh-in. It was like 16 hours before the weigh-in. Um, I was 67.6 kilos. So I had to get down to 61. We had no bathtub in the hotel. We weren't allowed yeah. in the saunas because our yeah. corner guys had tattoos. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they just, I, I don't know if it was on purpose or whatever, but we, we we sweated out pretty much, but it was the most miserable 16 hours of my life. Um, there was some stuff, but there was some stipulations in the contract as well that if I didn't make the weight, I was going to be responsible for my, my purse, the flights, the hotel, and my opponent's purse. So it came mm-hmm. about maybe eleven thousand pounds. Um, right. And I, at this point, I, I didn't. Have, I don't even think I had a thousand pound in the bank. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, <laughs> I'll definitely, I'll definitely make the weight. I'll make the weight. Um, You'll cut something off the, if you the, have the to. Fight, yeah, I fucking, <laughs> it was it was bad, man. I, I think I passed out a couple of times and stuff, and, but I eventually made it. Um, and then it stylistically they matched me like a, a really good grappler, um, short compact grappler who'd fought Uriah Faber and Jens Pulver and stuff like that. And I dropped him quite early in the first round and, and I thought I'd knocked him out. I've, I've started walking away like Mark Hunt, just walking up towards him and so I've done this and then I, he's just kind of looked at me and winked at me and I was ah oh, fuck. Um, uh-huh. And then for whatever, whatever reason, I, I've no idea, he, he shot a double leg on us and I sprawled. And as he straightened up for some reason, I shot a double leg on him and took him down. And he's went to half guard right into a heel hook. It was absolutely beautiful. But uh, so I flew home with a certain knee. But um, I, I think it was just the because I started in Shotokan Karate, getting to travel to Japan was a big thing. Um, mm. And I, I've said this before in, in other interviews and stuff, but I hadn't really been on a plane until I was 21 years old. I, like, I, I never went on family holidays and stuff as a kid. My family just mm. never done it. So. I got to 21 and then started flying all over the world to get to fights and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool for that, but I, sh- I should have definitely never shot that double leg on him for some weird reason. Yeah. Phenomenal stuff. I, said, yeah, yeah. I, c- I could listen to you two talk about your past fights and your experiences. <clears throat> 
for, for hours. I could literally just sit here and, and listen to it. Um, but one thing you mentioned, um, James, there about uh, about the weight cut being brutal, and I'm kind of interested in how you think um, the MMA generally, but particularly at the top end of the game, your, your UFCs, your Bellators, your Cage Warriors, how they can improve their <clears throat> their weight cutting protocols. Obviously, you know, at, at certain points there's always issues with weight cuts and people passing out and obviously in Asia there's been some more serious sort of things happening over the past sort of four or five years. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm interested in what you think would be the best way to go about uh, sort of the weight cutting rules and regulations or guidelines. I think more weight classes uh, straight away would help, um, especially the, the gaps between like the lightweight and welterweight and stuff like that. It's too big. Um, I used to I used to quite like the one FC idea for the the hydration tests and stuff like that, but I've now I actually have a one FC fighter in our gym now, a guy called Chris Shaw, he's a Thai boxer, and he was telling me about the he fought Rod, uh, Rodlick at, at one before the before COVID shut everyone down. Um, and he was telling us that the the weight cutting process is an absolute nightmare. It's like they'll, they'll test your hydration at certain points and you need to have a couple of liters of water in you. So he was saying he was drinking water and then going to the sauna. Mm -hmm. And so you try to get a balance between passing the hydration test and bringing your weight down. Right. And then again, getting your it just complicates it after the weight. So you, Mm. Yeah, it sounded a nightmare, mate. He was saying he's like trying to order a pee. He's needing a pee. He's in a sauna, and he can't go outside and pee because he needs to sweat, but keep this amount of fluid in his, his belly. And mm. it sounded absolutely horrific. Um, I know there was an incident with the last or two one FCs ago. I kind of mean to it was it missed weight. Somebody fucked up the, the hydration test of that. Um, it was John Wayne Parr actually. Mm. Uh, he missed weight for the fight with Nicky Holskin and it was the same thing he, he, he couldn't get the, the hydration versus dehydration numbers right so I'm not quite sure about that system anymore I think it might be a wee bit more flawed than what people, people think um, mm -hmm. I don't, to be honest I don't, I, don't, I don't have an answer for it I don't like the idea of guys weighing in as they walk to the cage they'll still dehydrate themselves which will cause trouble um, mm. I, maybe the idea of them making a certain weight and only allowed to be a certain percentage over the weight the next day at the weigh-in or whatever but again I, I've no idea man. It's, it's so mm. difficult isn't it to to come up with a solution ultimately because um, the nature of fighting whether it's boxing MMA whatever is it's before even not even fighting professional sport is about getting every little advantage that you can possibly get in, a, in every way every legal way and there's a reason why fighters don't fight at the weight they walk around at and ultimately I think it's difficult then because fighters are always going to try and cut weight to be as big as possible at their at their chosen weight but um, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on it it's something which fascinates me um, and hopefully you know touch words we won't see too many uh, issues, you know, going forward with fighters, because that is it's one of my least favourite things about the fight game is seeing some of those fighters really struggling um, when they're trying to make weight. It's uh, it is brutal. Um, James, 
at higher level, you have some some fighters at the very very top of the sport, um, some super talented guys, some champions, former champions, a really um, unbelievable talent pool, which I think says a lot about yourself and and your fellow coaches. Um, but what I want to ask you before we kind of get into some of those guys is, who have you got coming up? Like, who should we look out for in the next maybe three to five years? Uh, we've got a few, to be honest. Um, the, the one everybody seems to be talking about now is Mark, a kid called Mark Gunn, who's he's 20 years old. Um, he was ranked number one amateur in the UK for, for about a year and a half there at 70 kilos. So he's, he's, he would have turned pro last year if it wasn't for everyone being, being shut down. Um, he was the guy I mentioned earlier as well. I think that the COVID things actually probably made him better because he's been he's been involved in some really small camps with with guys getting ready for big fights. So he's getting a lot more kind of attention. But he, he's he's kind of the main prospect now. Um, to an extent, where I'm I'm trying not to talk about him too much because. We're struggling. We struggle to get him matched in Scotland already, mm. um, and he, he needs a bit of time to transition for for amateur to pro. And he's st- he's still a kid. He's still twenty year old, um, mm. twenty one year old, and, and needs time to come up through levels. He doesn't need chucked in with the with the best guy. He's at, at lightweight in the UK immediately. He needs a wee bit of time to to get more seasoning and stuff like that. There's another kid we have. He's just turned 18, called Sean Clancy, who's four and Um He stopped his, his four guys. He's been he's been fighting adults since he was 16. He couldn't really. He's, he's growing, so I think he's going to end up a light heavyweight. But he's, I think trying to get a match with other kids was a problem. Um, so, mm. so he's one as well. And then further up, we've got a couple younger pro guys, like a kid called Keir Harvey, really good featherweight. Um, we'll get Luke Shanks back on track hopefully next Cage Warriors and, and hopefully you can you can get on beyond Cage Warriors hopefully so you mentioned Luke obviously we've had Luke on the show We've um, I've had Luke on the channel as well um, big fans Danny used to, to coach him um, when he won the Cage Warriors title um, a few months back uh, was one of the most impressive and dominant five round victories um, I've ever seen. I truly believe it was one of the the great uh, British MMA performances. Um, you do not see many five round fights be that one sided. As a coach, when he won that title, apart when you you know if you take the title out of it, obviously winning the title was superb. But like from a performance aspect, that must have been uh, very satisfying as a coach. To an extent, um, I still think it, it lacked a finish. I think you should be finishing guys if you can dominate them that much. Yeah, um, you should should be able to finish them. Um, so that's something that, that needs work. His his ability to finish, and I think that's what separates the good European level fighters for the great ones. Like you, the UFC has got more likely to pick you up if you're finishing guys. Like the way those was in Cage Warriors, if you're, if you're knocking guys dead or subbing them then you become almost undeniable to these bigger shows. So the the performance was good, man, against a, a very solid opponent for an excellent team. But it, you need a finish. It's the same way, on the flip side, what Jake done to, done to Luke. Like, if, you're, mm. if you have the ability to dominate someone that much, 
but not finishing them, then you need to look at your ability to finish. Mm, and that, yeah, that sounds harsh absolutely. because obviously Luke's a very good, very good fighter. Um, and he probably doesn't want to hear that, but it's, it's the truth. Like you, you're, you're trying, you're trying to get to a level above everybody else, and and that's all that's missing really was, was the finish. So you mentioned the the Jake Hadley fight. Uh, obviously, that was Luke's yep. first defense of the title. Um, we were we, you know, me and myself and Danny, we were really rooting for Luke. We were very excited about the fight. Um, Jake Hadley, uh, Jake Hadley is an exceptional fighter. Um, but it, we felt like Luke had the tools to trouble him. So, so first and foremost, before the fight, did you feel that Luke had the, you know, with his wrestling um, and his clinch work and stuff like that? Did you feel like he had those tools to to be able to give Jake trouble that perhaps he hadn't have had elsewhere in previous fights? Yeah, I, I, I thought he, I knew it was a hard fight. I knew. Both guys, it was going to be the best guys that each other probably fought to that date. Um, but I thought Luke would have. I thought, to be honest, Jake couldn't have fought anybody that physical. To be, he always looked like a much bigger guy against mm. the, the guys he'd been beating. Um, and I thought Luke could be able to bring that to the table. To be honest, and then there's a couple of things we we figured into too much detail. Um, game plays one. Luke, Luke just went right off script, like a coach. He caught Jake with a hard punch in round one, kind of stiffened his legs a wee bit, and then yeah, just ch- kind of chased a knockout after that. He was just trying to knock his head off. Um, yeah, and and in another way, um, psychologically, Jake done a, a real good job on Luke with the trash talk, the the shit at the weigh-ins, the social media stuff, and he pulled him right in, right in to an extent where he got emotionally involved in the fight. Which you can't be doing at that level, um, and that in, in turn pulled them away for the game plan as well because he, he tried to get them up a street fight with an exceptionally yeah. trained, high level opponent, and he and it played out the way it played out because of that. You see, looks like four rounds down, round five goes out and tries a flying knee, gets double legged, um, and his decision making was poor, but it, it was completely clouded by emotion. And yeah. then there's just there, there came a point in the fight where he was just so far behind, he'd lost three or four rounds that we were never going to get it back. Um, and Hadley fought very smart, man, like really, really smart. He took nothing to do with look on his feet after the, the initial exchange. And then he didn't even take like a lot of risks chasing finishes where he maybe lost position and stuff like that. But he, he was mm. exceptional that night, Jake Hadley. Um, so massive credit to him and his team, and I think he'll going to do very good stuff in UFC. That kid, um, he's, he's still a lot. Of, he's young enough to develop and stuff. But uh, those kind of things that highlighted fucked look up. To be honest, the, the emotional stuff with the with the smart talk. He needs to. Like Danny was saying earlier with Lena Medios, just disassociate yourself. With it cut it off because it, it grows arms and legs that shit, and it, it does affect yeah. performance. Um, and then. When I'm when he landed that one, I think it was a right hook he landed. Um, he just went, he went after the knockout there, and it, it cost yeah. him dearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I can't agree with you more with all what you said. I mean, obviously, you know Luke 
personally for some time now and I've known him for many many years now and I know that if someone gets in his face regardless of how big you are and, and you know what your record is he's up for the fight but that's just the problem he treated it as a fight literally on the street and this is something that we spoke about and covered um, didn't we on the podcast side yeah, yeah. that you know it, it just all strategy seemed to go out the window and I said to Sire that I bet you James Doolin was going nuts in the corner because there, uh, there's no way I, I know what you're like to a point of a coach of very strategical tactical in your approach of philosophical um, about how you uh, train your fighters and I know the way he went in there would not have been the way you was wanting it to go and he just got too emotionally invested I absolutely agree but Lysenko is a massive learning curve for Luke. I just hope that he takes it on board and, and makes appropriate adjustments because I think he could have troubled, troubled Hadley just for the fact that he rocked him and, and, and dazed him. He should have just been playing it sure-footed. There was five five-minute rounds. It's a long time to keep finding those good shots that he got that first success with in that first round. He could have found that planting on Jake Adley in rounds two, three, four, and five, if he wanted to, if he just played a little bit more patience, a little bit more footwork orientated, stay away from that takedown. But you can't take anything away from Jack Adley as well. You know, he performed excellently that night. He kept it all together. I'm sure he had a game plan and um, he stuck to it and he pulled off a, a, a fantastic win. But I'm sure Luke could come back from it. Luke's very, very committed and he's very, very hungry and he really, really wants it. So I have no doubts he'd be coming back. But I'm glad you're dealing with him now, James, instead of me. I feel like I passed on an STI when when he went with you. <laughs> I think uh, I think I'd rather have an STI to be honest. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, um, when 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 he left, whenever Luke's around, there's a population boom. Wherever he goes, so I imagine there's been an influx of pregnancies uh, since he's come to Scotland. <laughs> um, like as a coach, is that frustrating? Like in the moment, I'm kind of referring to like how frustrating is that? Like, and how do you deal with that as a coach? Like, if if the game plan, and I don't necessarily mean just with like Luke on that night, but like just generally. <clears throat> If you've kind of worked on a strategy and a game plan before the fight, and then all of a sudden <clears throat> it just goes out the window and, and everything's been treated differently, like that's got to be frustrating. Like how how is that for a coach, James? It is frustrating, man. But that's kind of where you a lot of times that's where you make your reputation, turning things around. Um, mm. There will be times like, like that fight where there's no point in me being there that night. I could, have, I could have sat through the back with a cup of tea and the same shit would have played out. Um, he wasn't listening in between the rounds. Uh, even though what I was saying was kind of right and he apologised to me after actually in the cage. Like he knew himself, he'd get, he'd get suckered into it and dragged into it. And it, it is frustrating, man, because you, you feel helpless. You're, like you're at the side of the cage and it's... I knew within about three or four minutes that's how that fight was going to play out. Um, there was there was a slight chance Luke might have landed something on him and stuff like that, maybe knocked him out. But mm. once it started going past six and seven minutes, I was like, "This isn't happening." Um, yeah. And and Luke Luke never had the smarts or the discipline to change it. Um, so it was frustrating. Eventually, I was just going in the cage, and it was just a case of reiterating what I said before: like you, you need to change this up. You need to mm. change it up, and and it was just getting one year out the other. So mm. it, it can be problematic. Um, 
thankfully it doesn't happen that often. Um, but no. it, it is a real thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Something else. Something I've noticed through Facebook is that you read a lot. You read a hell of a lot. Um, something that I have done in the past and probably don't do as much of, uh, you know, as I should these days. But you read a lot of like uh, really quite impressionable books. Um, is that something that you've always done? You've always been a big reader, and it appears, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that you take on some of you know these books that you read to forge and shape your philosophy on the fight game from your coaching perspective. Yeah, I am. Um, I- I think I copied that from my dad, to be honest with you. He, he used to read a lot. Um, okay. And, but the, the big thing it is with me is, you know how like, some, some people can play Xbox or PlayStation and, and it switches their head off or they watch films mm. and, and none of that works for me. Like, I, I can't sit still. But the only thing that that can make me kind of zone out is if I'm reading. And it, it doesn't work on my phone or a Kindle or a paper. It sounds weird, but right. I need to have the book in my hand. Um, I can't do audio books and shit, but it's, I've just done it since I was a kid, man. Um, mm. it's, it's just a habit, I think, I'm not sure. But I, I'm selective about what I read. A lot of, obviously, martial arts stuff. Um, a, a lot of boxing autobiographies, coaches, stuff. Um, just the usual stuff with end up in that can better performance and stuff, sports science books. But it, it definitely helps, I think. I, I don't... Um, I'm quite a slow learner with certain things, so I need to I need to go through stuff at my own time. So, you know, some guys can watch something on a video and pick stuff up. I, I yeah. need to either if, if, I, if I read it, I'll get it, or if I can feel it, I can get it. So a lot of times, I need like if it's a technique in jujitsu. If I see it, I'll not get it, but if I, I get and rep it and get a feel for it, I'll, I'll kind of retain it a wee bit. But it's, yeah. mostly the the reading thing is just it's the only way I can switch my brain off. To be honest, for right. For everyone else, it's the only way I can zone it. Um, I wish I could play it. I've tried Xboxes, uh, I've tried like binging on TV shows and shit like that, and it, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah. it's it's not a bad thing to be able to, no. you know, pick up books. A lot of people have the other problem. Um, I find whenever I read books, it just makes me really tired. <laughs> um, it makes perhaps makes me zone out so much I, I get sleepy it don't know it just seems to retire me I'm probably not the most fluent reader um, I could be one of these people that can read a page and forget some parts of what I read and it's as if I've never read it I've, I've been like that since school um, you know we all learned in different ways isn't it like um, I was I never felt like I was perhaps a, a very very good learner in class format both in school and as a student of martial arts I found I was always better when I had that one-to-one tuition. I don't, I don't know why. I just love it, and I still have one-to-ones now. I'll go to my boxing coach um, sporadically uh, when I have Kev Capel come down to do a grading for the BJJ guys because um, I'd rather bring other, you know, fresh black belts in, not just Kev Capel, other black belts. I always um, say, "Can you come an hour before?" And we have a small group session or a one-to-one session. I like to ask questions about things, and and I just seem to be able to retain the information that way. I, I guess we all got ways of of knowing how we like, I guess our sort of ages, James, we find yeah. out our weaknesses and know how to approach them so they're not so weak after all. We, we've got uh, all our different ways and different methods at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the, the age thing's definitely a factor that as well. I think you just, you've tried so many different things now, you're aware of what works. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm the same as you. I, I, I like to get 
I like to get one or, or two hours a weekend with, with somebody else coaching me, just so I can mm. switch off and, and, and still learn stuff as well, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the same as that. Yeah. Like, then it's, everyone takes in stuff different, uh, different ways, and, you know, some people need it repetitive, you know, they need to go over yeah. it multiple times, some people can read it or do it once, and then it's kind of there. It's one, uh, it's very kind of interesting the the way that people can take in their information and 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 also like you say switching off um do you do you find james as well um obviously you're engrossed in fighting an mma you know morning to night day in day out do you find it difficult to kind of switch off from the from mma and fighting as well like you know and just kind of get on with life or and do something that you enjoy maybe away from that or is your whole kind of life just MMA in some f form it, it sounds it's pretty sad but to be honest it is man um, it's like it's a, an obsession to the point where it, it's cost me a lot of stuff before I was married before it cost me a relationship um, mm -hmm. it, it just gets in the way of everyone else because people can understand how obsessed I'm with it and um, people think I'm ignorant because I'm not into anything else. I'm, I'm, I can't have a conversation about <laughs> pop music or what the fuck's on TV and stuff like that. It's the only thing I... It, I don't know if, it's a, if I'm on the spectrum of autism or something maybe, but it's the only thing that, that I think about. Um, the only thing... Spending time with my kids can make me switch off, but that always inadvertently goes back to play fighting um, for, yeah, for right. some reason, <laughs> um, or getting out and walking my dogs and stuff like that. That that can help switch off a wee bit, um, but it's it, it's sad when I think about it. But it's pretty much the only thing I'm, I'm into. I've tried other things. I've tried mountain biking. I've tried playing the guitar. You name it. I've tried it, and nothing else kind of captures my imagination the same way that does mm. um, and it's it's pretty much it, it just the moment I wake up to a time I go to sleep it's all I'm thinking about and it causes me like my my fiance will be like You're, she knows what I'm thinking about just looking across the, the room at me and it causes right. problems she's talking about something and I'm fucking thinking about <laughs> how, how, how to take somebody down against a fence or, or something like that <laughs> yeah because another it, thing I've noticed Sorry, James. Another thing I've also noticed with your, your your Facebook and stuff is that you know you are so on it, and as soon as there's a fight card up, you're putting your predictions down, and um, and quite often a lot more than me and Sai, um, yeah. you you're getting a lot of them right. Um, you know what is your fascination with that? I mean, okay, so we all like to make a prediction or so, but you really put it out on your social media where obviously it could be critiqued and you could be wrong but you're so often right i mean how do you put what do you put that down to i don't know some some of the fights can pick themselves i think um, see if it's like a right 50 50 i'll stay away from it um or yeah. not i have I've, looked, I've made a couple of mistakes before just betting on guys that i like like i'll generally never bet against any of the british fighters even if i think right. or like they're up against it, I'll, I'll just like, I'll not touch that. But it, it's it's basically just going. It's past evidence. Like have a look at who they fought before, have they dealt with that style before, and mm -hmm. then just making some kind of judgment, like how how I could see it playing out type of thing. And um, mm. I, I think I had a good run at the start. I, I think I picked three or four, maybe about three or four years ago. I 
I picked five or six every week um, and got most of them right, and then had a couple of dodgy yeah. ones. But some of it's just luck, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on that note, actually, um, why don't we do some predictions for, oh, uh, no. for next week's <laughs> UFC? It's Danny's favourite bit of the show. Oh, shit. Um, so I'll bring that up now. I think, Dan, you've done all right. Um, I think I got the main event right, but I think other than that, I think you uh, you continued your good form um, mm. for the you know for the last couple of weeks really after I yeah, had, after I had bad. let's be honest I had been uh, thrashing you week in week out for probably about three <laughs> three years at least um, but yeah three years or a year and a half years, podcast yeah. that's amazing yes. <laughs> I'm that good. Um, <laughs> So we'll have a look. Let's. Um, it's a very interesting card actually next week. So you got uh, first and foremost main event lightweight um, is. It's not next week. It's the week after, by the way. But um, it's Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. I know, Danny, you're a oh. big fan of uh, Mr. Chandler. Um, so you tell me. Um, I do apologise. I've skipped ahead a week. Let me just check that. Yeah, I, I'm getting all ahead of myself. But you can tell me about that fight because I know you love Michael Chandler. There's another card. I do, that. but I, I'm also, you know, really impressed with what Charles Alvarez has been doing recently. So, ooh, trying to predict a win on that one's really, really hard. Um, I thought Chandler would have had a whole lot harder time against Dan Hooker than he did. Um, you know, given away that height and reach advantage, and that Hooker likes to play on the outside and play long. He soon found a way in, didn't he? And with huge consequence for Dan Hooker. So. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with with Chandler on, on this one just because he's you know, been showing the form. But oh, it's such a hard one to predict. It really is. Really, really is hard. Yeah. So the reason I got confused about the May eighth, uh, ninth card is because there's, they've only announced one fight and um, they have not announced anything else. So what we will do is we'll go. We'll have a look at the the UFC two six two card from the night the next week. Um, which way do you see that one going, James? Between Oliveira and Michael Chandler. It's a big fight. It's a great fight, man. Um, I'm an Oliveira fan, but I think Chandler will probably take that as well. Um, the, the thing that makes me think that is basically how Paul Felder dealt with, with Chandler. Uh, with Oliveira, sorry. I can see Chandler ending up on top of him, just dropping elbows on him for guard, similar to how Felder yeah, stopped sure. him. I think uh, I just get the impression Charles Oliveira's going to be one of the really exceptional fighters who just never quite makes it um, but yeah. never gets to the belt um, and I hope I'm wrong because I, I really like the guy um, I love watching him play off his back and his striking's got so much better recently but what what Danny hit on there with Chandler's UFC debut was was incredible what, uh, what he'd done to Dan Hooker um, and I, I, I can see him he seems to be tailor made for tall guys the, the way his mm. overhands and stuff like that and I'd probably take Chandler to, to beat Oliveira, I think. Yeah, I'm a massive um, Dan Hooker fan as well, and um, he just outclassed him, really did. Um, the co-main event for that evening is what I would describe Danny as, uh, on paper at least, a banger. Uh, Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. Call that one, my friend. Yeah, I, I can't bet against Leon Edwards. Um, no. You know, this, this guy has got Good fight IQ, makes good decisions so so often. Um, 
Nate Diaz, I mean, Nate Diaz can be a problem for anyone, but he has got weaknesses in his game. He's not the best wrestler in the world, and Leon Edwards has showed that he can take people down, you know, if he so chooses to, even if they're caliber wrestlers themselves. I just think Leon Edwards is just too good all round. I think the only way Edwards could get in trouble is if he is if he got caught in any way. Uh, Diaz has obviously got the cardio to keep pouring on to you. Uh, and the only other situation really is, is him staying on the ground too long, mess, messing around on the ground with someone like Nate. But Leon West was way too smart. Like I say, he makes good decisions practically at all times uh, in his recent appearances in UFC. I just think he's going to be too much for Nate. I really do. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating fight. And uh, what's that famous saying? If they won't give you respect, then you have to take it. Um, yeah. And I do feel like Leon Edwards is at that point. We've talked about uh, what we perceive, Danny, I think it's fair to say, is like maybe a little bit of disrespect thrown Leon Edwards' way by the UFC and maybe some part, parts of the media. And, um, you know, if he, if he was able to pull off a big win against Nate Diaz with a possible finish as well, like, I think he's going to get that respect that he so deserves. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fight and yeah. a half. James... Where'd you? Sorry, Dan. Go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, quite a few of my guys go off training other places as well, which I've always been open to do, and they get to see Leon Edwards train, and some of them get to, you know, briefly spar with him in um, specific sparring settings, and and they said this guy is an absolute talent. He, he, they they see him putting number on people, two weight divisions above himself. Um, mm. So he's he's a physical dude. He's intelligent dude. Uh, he's training right. He, he fights smart. He's got the whole package. He really has. He can take it all the way. I really believe that. Yeah, Jake Hadley and um, Paddy Pimblett both spoke very highly of him, didn't they, when they came on um, the show. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which way this one goes. James, how do you see uh, Diaz and Edwards going? And am I setting myself up for disappointment by anticipating a banger? I don't think it will be a banger. I think Leon will make light work in it, Diaz. Um, Okay. I think I, I think both the Diaz brothers are overrated. Um, I think on the flip side of that, I think Leon's massively underrated. I think he's an yeah. exceptional talent. Um, the both of the Diaz brothers are the it, fighting names like an IQ test. If you're half smart, you, you should be able to beat them. Um, mm. And the way the way Masvidal done Nate Diaz in his last fight, I can see Leon doing that, but more effect. I think he'll stop him. I think he's going to kick his legs to bits. Uh, I think he's been on the ground with guys like Gunnar Nelson and stuff like that and, and been very comfortable. Um, he's been hanging with better level competition, even as far back as uh, Vicenzi Luque and stuff like that. The dangerous striker. Uh, he knows what he's going to get off in the day as it's boxing. He's, he's not got any mm. kicks. He's not going to knee you. He's not going to shoot. He's, he's going to box into a clinch and maybe take it down there. More often than not, it's him getting took down. It's a, it's a really, yeah. very, pr not primitive, but it's an easy skill set to prep for. Um, I, and I think Leon Edwards is a, he's so disciplined. And, and Danny hit on it with, the, with the, the fight IQ thing. It's his biggest asset. And I think that's what gets him the win. I, I'll be surprised if it goes four rounds. Uh, it's, it's a five-round co-main event, which is cool. Um, and I, I think that'll give him the big name on his record that that probably gets a mixman yeah. next, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, I think it's going to be a good. Uh, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Um, next up was Tony Ferguson versus Benil Darush. 
Danny. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Benil Derouche. Tony Ferguson hasn't looked himself of recently, uh, last couple of fights. Um, but I really like Derouche. I, I'm looking forward to this one as well. But how do you see it going, Danny? Well, yeah, Ferguson hasn't been himself. Um, and it has been such a shame, you know. You know, he was so creative in moments in, in previous fights. But, yeah, really has just... I don't know whether it's a case of that he's not himself or just the calibre of, you know, the, these fighters is just getting of such that he's just getting found out now. And Darius, you know, he does nothing but impress me. Um, someone that never looked comfortable or never looked very coordinated on his feet and still don't on the highest level spectrum. But he always seems to get good things done with the striking. He gets older people, he puts people down. He just keeps getting results, and I think that's hard to bet against, really. So if you're going to go on, you know, really the form of the fighters, um, I'm going to have to go for Darius. Shout, mate. Um, James, how do you see that one going? I've also got Benio to win that. I'm a, I'm a massive fan. He has a, actually, when Stevie fought Michael Johnson, uh, Benio had fought Michael Johnson before, and actually came to us in the hotel and had been giving us a wee bit of advice about the fight with Michael Johnson and he was just a very, very nice guy, man, like really, really nice guy um, outside the cage, but then when he gets in there, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think he's been, he was on a good run before and then he ran into, was it Hernandez, I think, or that, took a short notice fight with him and, and beat him, kind of was a wee bump in the road from, but then since he's came back, he's looked incredible. He looks every time he goes out, he looks better and better. Um, and I think he's carrying that momentum into this fight. Whereas Tony just looks looks like he's he's fell off. Like he looks, he's went for the, the worst fight in the division potentially for for anybody to a guy who's struggling. Um, and I don't know if it's a physical or a mental thing. I know he's been messing about with different camps and stuff. Um, but what I hear. He's a hard guy to coach. I think he runs his own shit. We had uh, wow. one one of my students, Cal Murray's a, a ten planet black belt under Jeremy Fields, who's part of Tony's camp. Um, and I think the guys get quite frustrated with Tony. He just he decides what's happening, when it's happening, and stuff like that. And I think the guy does train very hard, but I don't think he, he's made any adjustments. Uh, based on his losses, and I think the momentum right. that Darius is carrying now, and the confidence should just carry him through. Um, I think mm -hmm. the way to Tony looked against Charles Oliveira, he was, he was in his preferred spots. He was on the ground where he wants to be, um, and and get shut down with with solid fundamental jiu-jitsu And D Darius is a, a brilliant, brilliant grappler on the ground, man. Yes, he is indeed. I'm um, like I say, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I'm just going to pick two other fights just to quickly talk about from the same card. Uh, so we got Caitlin Chikagian versus Vivian Arojo. Um, Danny, give me a prediction for that one. Oh, another very difficult one. Um, I'm going to go uh, Chikagian. That, yeah, that's I like, another um, tricky one. I like Caitlin. She's. Um, I thought she's looked pretty good uh, on the whole in the last. Uh, sort of year to 18 months she's um she's a good fighter i enjoy, i always enjoy watching her fight even if she sometimes isn't always consistent um james what about you for that one i'll go with caitlin's points probably split decision like a lot of her fights uh, she'll probably just outland the other girl she's she's pretty good at moving and just accumulating points i think so um i, I think that cool 
And um, the last one I want to ask you guys about is um, a prelim fight, which is quite wild to me. But there we go. Uh, it's Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabassian. Um, yeah, this is a, this one fascinates me. I got to say, um, Danny, what you got? Hermanson, uh, did he? He just lost on his last one, didn't he? I believe I, he did recently, didn't he? Yeah. Off the top of my head, I'll have a quick look now, but I'm pretty yeah, sure he but, lost recently, didn't he? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with him to come back from it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, Hermanson's ranked 7, Shabassian's ranked uh, 10. Uh, Hermanson lost to Vittori in December yeah, 2020. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what about you, James? You've got uh, Hermanson or you're going Shabassian? That's a good fight. Um, I think maybe going on that Vittori fight, I'll, I'll go with Edmund, I think. Uh, who, who did he lose to? Uh, Hermanson lost to Vittori and Shabassian lost to... Let me just give you, bring it up. Because um, he was expected to win, wasn't he? I think, if memory serves. Uh, Derek, Brunson, he, Derek Brunson, he lost to... Brunson. Uh, in August last year via a TKO after 28, that was right, it was uh, a quick one, it was like 28 seconds um, but yeah, he's um, be an interesting one, that fight I think, Hermanson and uh, Shabassian yeah who have you? Who did you say you've got James, sorry I think with Shabassian I think um, I think, young, he's still young that kid, I think he's like 22, 23 he is, I think yeah. he'll be looking to bounce mm -hmm. back um, real dynamic striker. I think I'll go with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Manson though he's got incredible cardio though, isn't he? He just keeps ploughing forward. So I don't, I'm hoping that will carry him through. Yeah, yeah. we shall see. He may sub, sub him. He may yeah, get a submission yeah. as well, Hermanson. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a cra absolutely cracking card that that day. Um, the last couple of pay per view events the UFC have put on, the, just the, the the depth of the card has been unbelievable like mm. truly like it's just incredible stuff so deep like the, some of the prelim fights which they've had have been uh, remarkable really when you think of years gone by they weren't that wasn't always the case but um okay um so myself and danny are now going to we're going to talk ufc uh fight night from last night but um james i gotta say i really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you this evening um, I realised we kept you about 10 minutes longer than we said we were going to. I appreciate uh, your time and everything. Uh, truly, thoroughly enjoyed it, my friend. And uh, thank you for your time. No worries, mate. Thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah, yeah, no, and also big thanks um, from myself as well, James. Uh, obviously, we've touched and, you know, uh, to talk in terms on one of the Cage Warriors shows and you know, we've now been in touch on Facebook, and now we've done a podcast together, uh, and as well on your podcast that you run. Uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's been really, really good to to mingle with someone that I respected as a fighter and also as a world class coach. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be rubbing shoulders again, and maybe we'll do a podcast again sometime in the near future. Yeah, man. I'll see you. I'll see you in London actually next cage Warriors. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Good up. stuff. Cheers, James. Good luck, buddy. Cheers, James. Thanks, Thanks for your time, mate. Bye guys. James Doolan there, another top level, co uh, another top level guest, mate. Another top level yeah, yeah, coach yeah. as well. Really enjoying these guests, mate. And uh, 
got a couple of good little suggestions actually. For yeah, we've got some we'll caucus discussed next week because I've got a. I've been been uh, been doing a little uh, bit a little bit of negotiating and jiggling right. and wiggling Sounds behind good. the Sounds scenes. Sounds I'll, uh, good. I'll tell you afterwards, but um, going well, mate. It's always enjoyable. But let's get into it. Let's finish this off with twenty minutes on uh, on last night's UFC. It was um, wasn't necessarily like jam packed with what you would perceive as you know the big names, but yeah. uh, overall, I thought it was a very enjoyable card, mate. I gotta say, yeah. um, no, I enjoyed the fights. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the one thing I was going to ask. Um, you and James about was um, and it's the only bit of news I really wanted to touch on um, so there's news today that um, Zabit Mahmed Sharapiov um, is considering walking away from the UFC oh wow um, he's 30 years old um, and basically his reasoning is obviously fighting takes a lot out of him he's uh, obviously based in sort of the Russian part of the world where they train very very hard very very physically um, yeah, and that does take wear and tear on the body. But he is thirty. Um, his record is he's lost once in nineteen fights. Um, yeah, he's only won five of those by decision, by the way. So he's by no means a you know a boring fighter to watch. He's won six by knockout, seven by submission, five by decision. Last beat Kelvin Qatar by a decision. He beat Jeremy Stevens by decision. Uh, he yeah. beat. Uh, if you remember, he beat uh, on UFC 228. He beat Brandon Davis via a Sulov stretch submission. Yeah, that was they tied him right up in a knot. Yeah, and he also beat uh, Shaman Marias via an anaconda choke. Like this guy is, he's a top top level fighter, and yeah. by all accounts, from what this. Um, what this news report says and this it comes stems from an instagram post from a russian media person but it seems to have come from his camp is right. they didn't shame. like the he was um scheduled to fight yairi rodriguez on the 29th of august last year mm. rodriguez pulled out quite late in the day they i don't think that was very popular um right. but they they did say at the time that you know they'd fight anyone they just want a fight right. Um, and he has been very vocal in that. He said, "He want I want top level fighters. I want to fight. I want to beat people up. I want to yeah. get the belt. No one will fight him." On and I think what probably has pushed him over the edge is the twenty sixth of April just gone. So like last week, the UFC removed him from the rankings. Uh, he was ranked third, and their right. reason was inactivity. Oh, and I think, yeah, but it's, that's frustrating. I think isn't it? like if. If you can't get a fight because no one will fight you, I think that's very harsh to remove him for inactivity. Yeah. And it's almost like what they kind of were leaning towards with Leon Edwards, wasn't it? They were starting to mm. make that similar threat. Um, I feel for him because he is uh, a top-level fighter, mate. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, there was still some really interesting matchups that he could have been involved with. And I think he's someone that could possibly, with his height, Go up a weight as well and challenge over two divisions. Well, I gotta say, mate, I think um, why isn't he getting a title fight? Yeah, Basically. absolutely. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's craziness. Puzzling. Um, they'd be mad if they let him go without a fight. You know, they should. Yeah. Let him, they should do everything they can to keep him. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, yeah, we had last night. We started off the main card with Murab Dishfali defeating Cody Stamen. A pretty dominant performance this one, mate. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Um, I mean, Stamen did well, um, but everything that he did well, uh, Davileshi just did better. He just yeah. had so much energy about it. He just gets so fit. This guy. Um, he can wrestle. He can strike somewhat. Um, I mean, it's not always the most beautiful setup of striking. But he just seems to get his hands and his legs in the right place at the right time. Um, so physically strong as well. And, and Stateman's strong. He's a real short, stocky dude. But Davileshi just looked good all round. He just looked slightly better in every area. And it left um, poor Cody just looking short in all departments. Although, still, like I say, I really want to maintain that uh, Stateman still performed pretty good. But Davileshi just performed better pretty much just everywhere. Yeah. Very, very impressive. Yeah, it was. I thought that's the that's the word I would use is impressive. Um, yeah, I think the one thing Murab lacks is that um, like the finish, like he's, he doesn't yeah. always finish a lot of fights. That's the yeah. one thing which maybe holds him back from maybe yeah. the, the hype in, of some other people, shall we say? Yeah, I mean in that weight division, the knockouts are not so frequent because yeah, they're, cause they're so tiny, and um, you know. They're, they're like flies landing on your steak during a hot day. You know they're really mm. super quick on their feet, so it must be hard to sort of like nail down any solid punch that's going to knock anyone off their feet in that weight division. But yeah, it perhaps lacks a little bit of the ability of control into submissions on the ground, possibly. But I, like I say, in that weight division, I don't expect to see as many finishes. They do come and they do come about, but not very often. So I never expect it in any extraordinary way. But still, he's going to be a hard customer for most people to beat because he's pretty proficient and full of energy in all areas. He's going to be difficult proposition. Be interesting to see how he's going to progress. Yeah, 100%, mate. Um, next up was Sean Strickland, rank 15, defeated Christoph Jotko via unanimous decision. I haven't seen this one. This is the one fight I haven't seen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was Strickland uh, pretty much looking like the hunter. And poor Jotko looking like he was the hunted. Although Jotko was doing well fighting off his back foot, but it was a little bit like how Modestus was doing in his last performance, fighting on the outside of the cage. Um, it looked like he was throwing his punches and kicks and knees through, through you know, having to fight the ever closing in Strickland. Um, Strickland, although at times I wasn't in favour of the way he was choosing to defend against uh, uh, Jacob's um, uh, Jotko, sorry. Uh, advancements. He was sometimes leaning back, looking at it, all comes a bit. It was almost done with pure confidence and cockiness, like, um, yeah, okay, I don't have to cover up too, too spectacularly, and, and just immediately yeah. went on the on the front foot again. And Strickland, yeah, basically outworked Jodko throughout all three rounds. Really, um, looked really, really good. Yeah, um, I just thought it was good stuff. Um, I just watched it back now yeah. a little bit. Sean Strickland was good. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ian Kutulaba versus Dustin Jacob Jacoby. Um, yeah. Ended in a split draw 29-28, 28-29, 28-28. Now, this one had a bit of a needle to it. They yeah, had a so bit of shoving match in the weights, uh, in yeah. their weigh-in and the, and the face-offs before the, the event. Um, what did you make of the fight, though? Really good fight. Kalubo um, was really given the stare down. Um, yeah, he, he wanted to be there and, and do some damage to Jacoby. Uh, but Jacoby performed very, very well, but not in the first round at all. Jacoby got out-wrestled. He got uh, 
you know, out grappled to a point. He, he took a lot of damage from uh, Cadaliba, and I believe that would have been scored as a 10-8 round. It was that dominant. Mm. Um, but Cadaliba was having to put a lot of energy into doing that work, um, and, and that's all very well, you know, getting ahead, but you have to have that cardio to therefore stay ahead. And what you notice with Cadaliba was in that second and third round, began to slow up. Now, he did dig deep. It wasn't a case that he got tired and his work rate dropped off sporadically he was still trying to trade back but become a lot more ineffective suddenly those takedowns weren't available to him in any way that he could keep it there and Jacoby was getting back to the feet and really pouring back onto Kotobi and it was really really good from both performance perspectives to be honest but Jacoby did great um, I felt like he did win rounds two and three although they were close he was winning them he was outpointing Kataliba uh, as far as I was concerned was crisper looking more energetic um, which made me and possibly the judges cast their eye on his work rate rather than Catalobi. And Catalobi looked like he was trying to get to the end of the finish line, hoping that he was going to stay ahead from that first round that he, he had put upon Jacoby. But yeah, it ended up being a draw, and I don't think that was that was out of place at all for a draw, to be honest. Um, that was a fight that I would like to see run back again. Um, but it looked like at the end they were both very friendly with each other. It looked like they whatever needle was going on between them it looks like they put it to bed after that fight they felt like you know a tie was a good result from both yeah and i think it's just part and parcel of it and that it's just it's kind of one of those things I ah, think. it's part of the game man it's just, part of the game i like so... it when it's done you know when it's tasteful okay a bit of pushing and shoving is okay but i think if you know punches and kicks flying perhaps is uh, becoming distasteful and there's also tasteful criticisms and, and and winding up of each other and distasteful variations but um yeah they, they, they seem all right but um like i say that fight was exciting enough for me to show interest in seeing that being run by so we have a defining winner yeah and that's not always the case is it when you get a, no. a draw or one where there's people who are getting at each other you don't always yeah. want to re-see it. Um, next up was uh, Giga Jakarta, ranked number 14, defeated Cub Swanson, ranked number 15. Uh, what a yeah. finish this one. Really, uh, the start of two great finishes to the card. But we talk, mate. We talk about these body shots. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Jakarta, look, he's rangy, explosive, precise. He doesn't do it how so often many other good strikers do, where you know they, they push you back by trying to invade the pocket. He's everything at range, but it's with a lot of intent. It really is, and precision. And he was just precise for the liver kick. It, it was beautiful. And Cup Swanson, you know, to his credit, was kind of like doing the right type of thing. He was trying to push in close, trying to be explosive, definitely doing the right sort of things to make himself relevant in the fight, but just got caught, and that's the thing with Kachadze, you know, he's precision orientated. It was early on in a round and when you're getting hit to the liver or to the jaw by this guy, it is going to do some devastating damage and yeah, he was done for. Perhaps took some un unnecessary further damage on the ground but nothing too consequential to his health or anything like that. But yeah, very, very impressive. This guy is looking pretty real deal in that division now. Pretty real deal. Indeed, mate. Um, I just, uh, these body shots, mate, these body shots, it just, they're killers. And I, I see some people sometimes say, you know, how can you go down as a professional fighter from oh. a, a kick to the stomach? And I'm like, mate, yes. those, yeah, the, the, those liver kicks, the punch hitter yeah. is um, brutal. Look, a normal body shot on its own is, is, is horrendous. It's suffocating. It's hard to explain. You have to experience it to, to know. Um, and, but a liver 
liver kick or liver punch well placed it, it literally just stops you in your tracks you, it, it makes you not be able to draw in air it just stops you it's horrendous feeling very 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 strange sensation but again you know i can't say it enough you have to experience it to know it it's like when you see someone take a leg kick uh, whether it be on the shin or the thigh and people are really shocked at how they're suddenly limping or not able to function properly trust me you know get get a top fighter who's uh, got a kicking background to kick you in the leg you'll know everything that it's all about and you won't be criticizing anyone that starts limping or falling to their ass after receiving a nasty leg mm -hmm. kick body kicks and leg kicks are, are, are just disastrous in a fight because they're so hard to recover from um you know when you get rocked and, and knocked dizzy um unless they put you away in a in a proper manner you can shake off the cobweb so to speak and come back fighting through and and pull off wins but normally when been, been hurt to the body or hurt to the legs it's normally a slippery slope to defeat yeah yeah you can't um can't dispute it mate it's just look i um i've never been a fighter but i've spoken to a lot of fighters and coaches and media people and um they all say the same thing the liver kick is a as brutal as, brutal as uh, a well-placed liver kick with power is um is as brutal as any knockout or any shot on the jaw or you know right on the button anything like yeah. that now the um, world stops honestly when you get hit the world stops now uh the main event was dominic reyes making his return to the cage versus jiri uh Prashaka. now mate you don't see many finishes like this do you no you don't and it wasn't even the finish that was just impressive with this it was both how they was performing against each other there was quite often in opposite stances um I don't know how to just pronounce it. No, I'm just going to shoot jury. Uh, yeah, but I'm just going to say jury. Um, you know, we know how, what jury does and we know how he comes about, but he, he's normally been so dominant in his recent performances. You know, he puts people away pretty damn quick. He's got that 80 inch reach as well, which is pretty huge. Um, but, but, it was a battle of the cross hands. Uh, Jury was landing his cross hand. Uh, Rios was uh, landing his cross hand. Um, they both hurt each other on numerous occasions, but they were both just going at it toe to toe. But for me, uh, Jury was just pushing forward and a little bit more believing in on what he was uh, throwing at at uh, Reyes, rather, rather than Reyes believing in what he was doing to Jury. Um, okay. I think Reyes had the right idea when he started incorporating some takedowns. Um, I think a lot of juries grappling has not been tested. I think there are some holes there, but they're not being utilized by the opponents that are facing him. Uh, look, this guy can bang. Yes, he's open to being hit as well. But do you really want to trade with a guy that seems to be able to get stoppage after stoppage? I don't think it's a good policy to trade with him, although there is a target there for the taking. And he did get rocked as well. Um, you know, we have to remind ourselves of that. But I think the success really could have come for Reyes if he kept on trying to utilize the takedown. And, and at least then that way the threat of the takedown would perhaps stop Jury coming on as an onslaught like he did because that's eventually what got him the win. As the rounds progressed, the pressure really got to Rias and he started not seeing the flamboyant combinations coming at him. Um, and he threw two elbows, didn't he? He threw a, a splicing yeah. cross elbow into a back elbow. And oh my God, you know, I see this performed in, in, in a tasteful way by um, uh, Jordan Vesenic. He... he very 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 good with his elbows and he's able to 
throw them in a way where it's obviously it's not landing on um, anyone because obviously it'll cut people to pieces. But he does it very, very well. You've got to remember, he's a featherweight, so he's going to be very um, well coordinated. But to see guys of that weight perform it so fluidity, uh, so fluid um, as we saw, it's just beautiful. It, it really was. But the whole fight was exciting, wasn't it? You just knew someone was going to drop. They, they just was not backing down from each other. Lovely to see. Uh, Jury's real deal now. I mean, Crikey, what's his rank now? He must be really trundling up the ranks now. Uh, so he's right, he was ranked five and Reyes was ranked three before this. Yeah, so he's getting right up there. Oh, yeah, mate. And what, do you know what I really liked about it was the, the timing. So what um, he hit the first shot um, and he hit the second shot. And he sort of, as he hit that second right elbow, he sort of span, you know, with his follow through. And he knew yep. that Reyes was rocked. And he just also yep. naturally spun back around, you know, around in a circle with that big left elbow. And um, just caught him nice on Z. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, when you're throwing a cross elbow like he did, you quite often have to step through with it to make it reach. Um, and that's why the natural thing is to then spin and turn and throw your your cross back elbow like he did and um, it was really nice to see but i saw some good grappling as well from jury yeah, when he was on top of rios yeah. he was just he was not you know mucking around with jujitsu skills too much he was holding that top side rear position and just throwing strikes he was treating the grappling as proper mma as i would say mm. or full-on mma he was just getting that top position to throw shots he wasn't trying to pass guard he was he would didn't do anything he didn't try and put the hooks in in particular he just wanted to hit strike and do damage and that's what he does when he fights from the time that the bell goes he's chasing down to throw shots and it doesn't seem to be showing any fear of potential repercussions of being so open he just wants to get off his damage and his damage only and look as long as it keeps getting him wins he's going to keep doing what he does and it makes good viewership i, I enjoy watching him as a fan I enjoy watching his fights uh, no matter what because look he's, he's always going to put on an amazing uh, performance and like james Doolin was saying you know um, some fighters they just keep getting decision wins they can get overlooked and they don't get their ticket to ufc there's no wonder this guy got his ticket to ufc this guy just tries to stop everyone every minute of every round he really has impressed me of late yeah and look, it's just one of those it, whereby like he's got it where's he go next he's gotta be looking towards that title gotta be just because of yeah. where he was, where and the the impression of the finish, Dominic Reyes is. I I feel for him a bit because there was talk of, you know, retirement. Is it coming towards the end of his career and all the usual stuff that you get with fighters once they get to a certain age and they, it's best particularly yeah. when they have time out and they do a lot of commentating. It's natural to have those questions, and I feel for him because he looked quite sharp and yeah, he's he was finished. not looking bad, but. He was he was having to deal with a lot of forward pressure, and he was giving it back. He was in there to win it completely through start to finish, up until he got knocked out. He was in there to win it himself. Um, he, he knew he had had his opportunities there, but unfortunately, opportunities were one too many against him, and yeah, he got finished. Unfortunately, um, there was another fight that I wanted to mention as well. Um, one of uh, Modestus old opponents uh, that he fought in UFC, the first one where he knocked him out in the wrestling. He went down a weight, which I think was a good call. Um, I, I'm going to butcher his name here. That Andreas uh, Mechalidis. Um, he fought that KB. Uh -huh. 
uh, Bellahar. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, going yeah. up for butchering his name. But that Bellahar's got, uh, you know, even though he's come down the way, that guy's tall. I think good three or four inches height advantage. But um, Andreas performed excellent. He really, really did. He, he, he was very, very calm. He exploded. And when he exploded, he got in really, really close and really unloaded to a point where I thought he might have overcooked himself. But he didn't. He actually paced himself very, very well. He was very, very active in the first round, even scoring a takedown and having some back control. Um, the second round slowed down a little bit. But again, we'll still go on these big flurries, uh, Flement in that round in his favour. And again, in that third round, again, a little bit slower paced, but he still you know, went off like a firecracker as and when he needed to, to consolidate that round. Um, that Pelha is a really good, I think he's a taekwondo practitioner, very, very long rangey. But hey, it looked like everything that he was throwing out, he was kicking at the legs a lot, but landing with his foot. And yeah. That amount of kicks that he was landing on, on Andreas should have been doing some damage, and there weren't barely any marks on his legs. Um, it wasn't bothering him at all, and he kept kept trudging forward. But I was really, really impressed with him, looking really, really good. I'm glad he's down at middleweight. I think that's where he belongs. I think light heavy is just too damn small. Yeah, um, I just wanted so to he, say that. that in so his I, opinion, he made the uh, he made the right decision then for you, mate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was too small for light heavy. Um, yeah, and he had a very, very impressive performance. So, you know, well done on him. He goes to 13 and 4. He'll start getting himself back into some form of contention to be in that top 15. Yeah, I wish more fighters would consider a change in weight class sometimes when things aren't going their well way. It sometimes feels like some fighters, they almost treat it as like a last resort when things aren't yeah. going their way. But actually, I think it can be a good way to, to you know, to rejig your career or just to make things go back in your favour. Like, if you're a bit big or a bit small for your weight class, why wouldn't you want to investigate or, you know, look into, could I, would I be better suited for a weight up or a weight down? Yeah. I wish more fighters would do it, but there we go. Um, Danny, another excellent, fun, interesting show, mate. I really enjoyed it again. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's been uh, good. We've uh, really been good. spoiling ourselves. The last few weeks, but uh, yeah, yeah we, we, now, I, I have no doubts we'll be pulling some other really good guests in. I have no doubt about that, indeed, mate. And we've also um, been speaking to some people doing some some wheeling and some dealing. Yeah. And uh, if <laughs> sound like my dad, <laughs> if you want the best body grooming tools in the game, then you can visit smoothmyballs.com. What? And uh, for 15% off all your various uh, shaving needs, they've got all sorts. They've got deodorants and trimmers, <laughs> hedge trimmer 4.0 or whatever it is. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. But if you use the code ACEBALLS, you not only get 15% off, but we also get a little cut. So support us by supporting our brand partners. Smooth my balls. Excellent. That's brilliant. There you go. Do it. They got some good so stuff. I, I they sent me. Um, they sent me a damage. review kit. So right. Yeah. I'm gonna, I say. I I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, but I'll I'm let you know. To do live demonstration. Good. Let me do a live demonstration. Sorry. Yeah. You get me demonetized in seconds. <laughs> Danny balls. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you. Yeah. Is what it is. If people, you know, let's let's not beat around a bush. People beat around a bush. Do you see what I did there? People, um, you know, 
people like to groom and keep their their bush and <laughs> tidy nice order. order. Yeah. So why not? And um, you get fifteen percent off if you order and use that code. And they send Ace Podcast Nation a little cut of it as well to support us. So that's you know, superb, superb stuff indeed, my friend. Um, Danny, as always, it is my pleasure to have been joined yes. by yourself and, of course, James Doolan. I'm going to try and put some clips out this week. It's just difficult. I just don't have yeah. the time. I need yeah. a, an intern to yeah. make clips and stuff. But um, as the COVID things restricting restrictions and stuff lifted, I'm hoping to um, to record some studio shows at some point as well. So um, you never know. You might we might see if we can work something out for the old Daddy Bat and Fight show as well. Have a little one in a in a studio. But um, I'll certainly be travelling to Northampton at some point in the in the near future. I can tell you that yes. much. In yeah. the meantime, yeah, no, guys. Go on. No, I was going to say that would be good, and obviously it's always been in my intention to get your way. Why was there many, many lovely, beautiful points that I would love to go and visit anyway? And um, if I could take in and finally meet you face to face, that would be great as well. Spot on, mate. Come to sunny Wales. <laughs> it's God's country, guys. It's a pleasure as always. Spread the word about the Danny Batten Fight Show. Best guests in the game. Best analysis from the legend. In the game. Bid you farewell. Be yeah. good. Have a good week. See you later. Podcast Network.